Thanks for listening to The Vine's podcast. The Vine is a church in Austin, Texas, with the simple goal of following Jesus together. And we hope this message helps you in doing just that. All right, good morning, everyone. Today's scripture reading is Mark 5, 22 through 34. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet. And implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, so that she may be well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years, and who had suffered much under many physicians, and spent all that she had, and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out of him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, who touched me? And then he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. This is the word of our Lord. Hey, everybody. How are y'all doing today? I'm going to introduce myself, but first I wanted to tell you something funny that happened in the bathroom because these kind of things happen to me all the time. I, I went into the restroom and I just of a last restroom run and I was reaching for the toilet paper and grabbed hold of it and the whole thing came off and rolled out under the, under the uh, door and hit probably two people's feet that were at the sink washing their hands. So if that was you, I am so embarrassed. And I'm so happy you didn't say anything. But this is just kind of who I am, just so you know. Um, So my name is Stephanie Ragsdale, and I've been here for seven years. And um, I'm married to Ron Ragsdale for 36 years. Yeah. We have three grown amazing children and one son-in-law and a couple little family tidbits. We like to play and we might be just a teensy bit competitive. But anyway, we love each other fiercely and this is my crew. This is my, my guys. So, well, today we're going to continue our series in Moments with Jesus and I'm super excited to... Uh, talk about the passage that was just read and how it intersected with a story in my own life. So um, our community question, as you know, was about sports. And uh, it reminded me of when our kids were little and they played soccer. And at the end of every game, um, the parents would come together and do this, you know, kind of tunnel for the kids to run through, kind of a celebration tunnel. And, uh, and it, it just didn't matter if the game was bad or good, but uh, when they entered that tunnel, that encouraging tunnel, all was forgotten, and all were accepted, high-fived, and celebrated, and, you know, fruit roll-ups and juice boxes were just waiting on the other end for them. 
So look at that. Look at the joy on that face. It, it's really a sight if you haven't experienced that before. But try to imagine what would it be like to exclude a child from entering that tunnel? What if it was your child? What if it was your niece or nephew or someone that you loved? Well, I was with people who felt that kind of exclusion in 2015. I was in Portland, Oregon, attending an LGBTQ Christian conference. And uh, I was there because my own child had come out. And I was desperately trying to learn uh, all that I could by immersing myself into the LGBTQ community. At this time, there was only a handful of uh, parents there, so I was by far the uh, in the minority of being uh, straight, I guess is what you would say. Um, so uh, anyway, I'm so sorry, I've got my notes all mixed up here. So um, I, you know, I, I was I was blessed there, and uh, by the fruit of kindness and compassion and joy in the people that I met. And I also uh, encountered a lot of heartbreak in the stories that I heard that were wrought with pain um, at the hands of some of their own Christian families and some of their own uh, communities of faith. And yet somehow they were there. They were persisting in their faith. I'll never forget uh, uh, the night that they told us that there was going to be protesters outside the next morning. And um, it was going to be Westboro Baptist Church. And they were going to be there to once again uh, remind these brave brothers and sisters that they are less than human. And the Christian thing to do would be to remind them how much God hates them and that they're going to burn in hell eternally. By the way, who has ever come to faith when they saw a sign with a slur that says God hates you? We just don't hear those testimonies, do we? So uh, we were on the light rail, and we were heading to the conference center that morning, and it was full of all the you know, other attendees, and it was cold and rainy, and the mood was super quiet and ominous. They knew what they were walking into. It must have felt familiar to them, and despite this, they continued I, I really didn't know what to expect. I've never been on the receiving end of something so hateful. And I had grown up rather privileged and naive in my faith. And I basically have had no roadblocks to Jesus. So when we pulled up and I saw the signs full of slurs and heard the megaphone blaring, I unexpectedly and immediately broke down into sobs. Jesus had presented me with a gift in that moment, I had unwittingly become the people I was with. I was immersed with them in their pain, so much so that I felt it in my own body, what they had experienced their entire lives. Unwelcomed, ostracized, and misunderstood. If anyone needed a tunnel of celebration, it was this, these people. And so did the woman in Mark 5 who was rejected for 12 years, denied from anything that gave her a place of belonging and self-esteem and purpose, 
She had never been invited to enter a tunnel of celebration on the playing field of her life. This story, it's, it's known as the hemorrhaging woman, the bleeding woman. Um, I mean, she's nameless except for this title. And I cannot tell you how much I hate this. So for today's purposes, I'm renaming her. I'm going to call her the courageous woman. This short story is found in three of the Gospels, and we're looking at the one in Mark today. And uh, it's a really curious story because it's a story within a story. And, um, you know, we read about, you saw that Jairus, who is a synagogue leader, an important person in their religious system, and he has come to beg Jesus for his daughter's life. His daughter, we later find out in the passage, is 12 years old. So, since he's well-known and respected, crowds of people were in procession with him to his house. And then there was this great interruption, kind of like a, uh, pulling a needle off of a record, a record player too fast. <clears throat> the courageous woman has defied the law, and she's touched Jesus. She, too, is someone's daughter, but she has no father to advocate for her no crowd of support. The 12-year-old girl is close to dying. And as long as that girl has been alive, this woman has been suffering with this illness. 12 years, two daughters, and two very different desperate situations. We're going to focus on the courageous woman today. It's placement and intrusion into the more privileged story. It's about how Jesus stopped unhurriedly listened, and changed a life. I, to find out what happens to Jarius' daughter, I guess you're going to have to read that one for yourself. So, in our passage, it would be simple to slide right over some of these verses, kind of flat on a page. A nameless human interrupting Jesus who's on an important mission with a religious leader, Jarius. How easy it is for us to bypass someone without really seeing them while doing truly important Christian activities in our lives. Jesus, he was on a life or death mission, yet he knew when to slow down and when to pay attention. We often miss all of the unspoken clues given to us that tell a deeper story about the person right in front of us. There's this phrase in here, uh, that stands out to me in these verses. She had suffered a great deal. I want to stop and kind of unpack that a little bit and kind of pull back the layers. The Greek word used for suffering is, I practice saying this, pashko. And uh, it means physical suffering, yes, but it also means suffering of the mind and emotion. So first, I want to gather what's kind of laying on the surface of her suffering, which are the easy things to parse out, is her physical suffering. And there's no way to get around this. It's a deeply human story. Every woman, or most every woman in this room, uh, understands it. To have a defective uterus and constant bleeding 24-7 for 12 years is unimaginable. It's enough for us once a month, and we have all the conveniences and modern-day items to ease it and to decrease any pain we might have, the few days that we do need it. 
I wonder if she felt cramping, if she was anemic, if she was fatigued. And I wonder if she had constant worry of breakthrough bleeding in public. Her day was filled with the washing and changing of soiled rags. She did seek doctors, and they gave her some hope but, uh, that she would be relieved of this, but really all they relieved her of was her money. So now she's destitute. Second, if you dig just a little bit deeper, um, her suffering is also cultural and religious rejection. We know from Leviticus 15, within the laws that the Hebrews followed, that if a woman bled either on her monthly period or beyond it, Anything they touched, sat on, slept on would be considered unclean. She could not touch or be touched by any human. No embrace of another, not father, not mother. This would prevent her from being given in marriage, bearing children. In this society, this was the highest purpose for a woman in that culture. She would not be welcome in the place of worship. She most likely was abandoned by her family of origin. And if all of this wasn't enough, in John 9 and in some other passages that I found, um, it appears that chronic conditions were linked to the sinfulness of a person. There would be painful rumors as to why she deserved what she had uh, and because of some sin in her life. Shame and judgment would be her constant companions. Even deeper beyond that, um, in her psychological core, would lie depression, despair, loneliness, anxiety about her future, and an aching to be held and loved as she is. And worst of all, she would have felt the apparent abandonment of God. Are we starting to see her humanity yet? To feel her pain? Or maybe, maybe your own story resonates with her in some way. Recently, I heard a presentation by Dr. Kindra Frazier, who is a therapist and ordained minister who specializes in helping those who have experienced trauma or abuse in religious spaces. In the workshop, she introduced a pared-down version of uh, Abraham Maslow's theory of basic human needs for thriving, which he penned in 1943. He focuses on physical needs first, you know, food, water, shelter. And then he goes into our psychological needs. Dr. Frazier paraphrased the psychological needs we all have into these four categories. Number one, belonging. Am I welcome and safe in community? Number two, self-esteem. Am I worthy enough? Do I have intrinsic value? Number three, control. Can I be accepted as I am, or do I mask up to be who others say that I should be? Meaningful existence. What do I have to offer? Should I even exist? This woman, she was lacking all of these. All of us desperately need these things to flourish. I wonder, what do you need? And which ones are you thankful for?
This is what our family and Christian community should be providing through the love of Christ. Yet families of origin, churches, and cultural Christianity have caused some to feel like they do not belong and are not worthy, and their existence is diminished. This was the reality of the woman in Mark 5, the courageous woman. So it goes on to talk about uh, that she, um, despite the treatment that she receives by the religious people around her, that she had heard about Jesus. And I ask myself, I wonder what she heard about him that, that caused her to take such a risk when she had really lost hope within a religious system that had tossed her aside. What was so attractive to her that she persisted? Well, we know that she witnessed or heard stories about how Jesus was different, even subversive to the religious system. He broke the rules to elevate those who were marginalized, and instead of avoiding those like her, considered unclean, he interacted with them. He brought healing and compassion, and he touched them, even a leper. He listened and understood not just about their physical pain, but about their psychological and social trauma. She took a courageous and extraordinary step against all that she had experienced. She mustered up the tiniest bit of hope that he might be worth pursuing. Maybe he would be worth the risk of wading through a crowd who would once again shame and humiliate her. So she doubled up those rags about her, covered her head, and slipped into the throngs of people that if they had known who they were rubbing shoulders with, they would be mortified because it would be violating their religious barriers. I am astonished at this act of faith, knowing full well that things could end so badly for her. I want to pause and come back to my Portland story because the parallels have been so remarkable to me that I, I'm astounded by this woman, as I said, and I I'm, was deeply impacted by the faith and courage it took for these believers that were with me to continue to reach out for Jesus in the face of the religious barriers that they're experiencing, knowing it could end badly for them too. As we stepped off the light rail, the air was just thick with hate and there were abhorrent signs and megaphones telling of God's wrath. And then, just like at the end of a hard-fought soccer game, there it was. The churches in Portland had heard about the protest, and they had come together at the last minute in the freezing rain on a Saturday morning early to form a tunnel for us to walk through that shielded us from the onslaught. Ironically, it was Christians protecting Christians from Christians. Go figure. <laughs> In stark contrast, they held up signs that told us how much Jesus loved us and valued us and accepted us. I love this picture because this young man has uh, the rain dripping from both of his earlobes, and you can see the megaphone in the background, but... Um, Anyway, they, they, had, uh, they sang Amazing Grace over us and other songs to drown out the megaphone of God's disdain. They had radiant smiles, hugs, 
and high fives ready along the way. And they danced. They danced in celebration over us. This was the ultimate celebratory tunnel. Entering it, we were depleted. Emerging from it, we were a hot, gooey mess. Ugly cry mess of joy. <laughs> we stood there, chilled and wet, in order to watch others come through the tunnel, stunned by Jesus' compassion and embrace. And then at the end, we collectively all gasped as there appeared this amazing rainbow framing the entire scene. And then a few moments later, a second one appeared. It was an exclamation point on the extravagant gesture of strangers who let themselves be interrupted from their Saturday mornings with their coffee, and they chose to slow down and show up in freezing rain to love like Jesus. This experience forever changed me and put me on an unexpected path to be this celebratory tunnel for others who wonder, is there a place for me at the table of Christ? It's why I do the work I do with advocacy with a group called the Reformation Project. It's why I proudly put my free mom hug buttons on and go to pride parades so that I can put my arms around some of those that don't have that from their parents. Jesus' response was breathtakingly unexpected that day, and it was the same for this courageous woman in our passage. She had hoped to merely touch the hem of his garment and perhaps receive healing and then slip away unnoticed. But that's not who Jesus is. He had something so much more for her. Jesus creates non-threatening equal space by coming to eye level with her. He created a community for her by raising her status from orphan to daughter, belonging. He restores dignity by looking into her eyes to make sure she knows he is focused on her and she is of value. He defends her in front of everyone. He gives her a sense of control and worth in who she is. He tells her that her story and faith is a blessing to him. And he is so happy that they've met. And then he tells her to go and live in peace. He gives her meaningful existence. He validates and is compassionate to her suffering. And he touches her with the tenderness of a father that she has missed out on her entire life. All of the above. <laughs> Who are you drawn to in this story? Are you inspired by the kind of compassion that Jesus demonstrates to a woman and a culture that's weary of religion and its rules? How do we stop it? How do we stop the hemorrhaging to those around us and form a Christ-like tunnel of celebration for every person that comes into our lives? Here's what we do. We reflect Jesus by creating a safe space where stories are heard and people are validated and embraced as they are, wherever they are, however they are. This is where 
healing truly begins. Or maybe this account of the woman in Mark 5 has brought up pain from your own difficult religious experiences. Maybe you've been hurt by the church. You're depleted and diminished. And yet, here you are at the vine, courageous, dipping your toes back into church because you're holding on to your faith by a thread. But you cannot get rid of that itch in your soul that Jesus just might be worth pursuing. He is. You are loved. You belong. And we will journey on this path together. I want to send you all out for a benediction with a blessing, if that's okay. Dear friends, God sees every hemorrhage in your life through his mercy and compassion. He knows your story. May we find God this week in unexpected places. And may we in turn be Jesus to those around us by giving the same mercy and compassion we do so desperately need ourselves. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Grace and peace, everyone. See y'all next week. We hope you found this message encouraging. If you would like to learn more about The Vine, get connected to our community, or contribute financially to The Vine's ministry, go to our website at thevineaustin.org.
We hope you found this message encouraging. If you would like to learn more about The Vine, get connected to our community, or contribute financially to The Vine's ministry, go to our website at thevineaustin.org.